0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Thank You Now What, a podcast about life after service. I'm your host, Matt DeVivo. This show is produced by Ben Murray. On today's episode, we spoke with a longtime friend of mine, Noah Harris. Noah is a former Green Beret and veteran of the global war on terror. He's also a former teammate of mine. After serving for more than 15 years, Noah separated from the army to do more of the things that he was otherwise interested in. This included film school, a rekindled love for science, and simply being a dad.
1: And one of the things I want to do with my life was be a father. You can't be a father from a distance. I mean, it's, if you have to do it, you have to do it. But I didn't have to do it. And it's one of the things that gives me the most satisfaction in life now.
0: We hope you enjoy our conversation. Thanks for listening. This is a first for me because i have no notes going into this interview, but Noah and I have known each other for, like, 12 years. So, he's one of the people I call on long car rides when I need to burn a couple hours anyway. So, if we just start talking about, like, black holes and shit, Ben, reel us back (laughs) in.
2: All right. I might want to hear that, though. (laughs) Am I the first
0: former teammate you've had on? No, I don't think so. First from that team. Okay. We try not to stack up too many SF guys in a row, but it's hard because, like, that's... That's the modal uh, army buddy for me. Yeah. Right. I get it. Anyway, we'll try to shuffle the deck a little bit as best we can, but we kind of accelerated you to the front of the line because uh, you've been working with Megan on like a uh, kind of like a spinoff show, right? Exactly. Yeah, we're
1: trying to put put it together right now. We're looking at having it out in uh, about a month. Basically, we're going to be exploring some of the psychological tools. That she uses and that I've used in my own life, um, although sometimes I call them different things, like spiritual, but exploring some of those tools to live a better life.
0: Okay. You know, is it just to, dealing with transition? Because I know that's what she specializes in. Are you guys going to branch out from that or start and then expand?
1: We're actually going to just do a bunch of topics. Our first topic is going to be stress. We're going to discuss the science behind it, the biology the different ways you can treat it and react it, how it's a positive thing, um, how it can become a negative thing over time with prolonged and extensive uh, exposure, and then how to turn yeah. it back into a good thing. Oh
0: God, where do we even start with Noah and spirituality, man? I mean, like, uh, Ben, you know, Platoon, like one of the most classic uh, war movies. Noah is like Elias, right? Like a water, like a water walker, spiritual... Looking up at the stars and like, you know, mapping out his life. But you're into just like a ton of shit. You separated from the military, you didn't retire. You just you were like, I you got up to a point and you're like, Yeah, I want to do this other thing now, so I'm just gonna go do this. And that ended up being film school. Yeah, it
1: did. So, Actually. Yeah.
0: So rather than just taking like a linear path down the story of Noah, like let's let's go there. Okay. You had fifteen years in, I think? And everyone's probably like, five more years, you can retire, you can get benefits, pension, whatever. And you're like, no, I'm cashing it in now. Well, opposite of cashing it in, you're like, I'm just going to go do this other thing.
1: Yeah, well, honestly, I think I might have been done a little bit before that. And Hmm. I ended up in a different position where I was doing different stuff than what we were doing in Germany. I wasn't outside as much, I was working more by myself. And plus, there was just lots of things. Like, I was, you know, I was eager to. If there was a confrontation, I was eager to be like, fuck you, which I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be someone that was looking for a confrontation, looking for a fight because he was annoyed and tired with the system and frustrated. I just wasn't having as much fun anymore. And to be honest with you, the thing about working alone is you don't get one of the best things about the organization is working with some of the incredible dudes. You know? Yeah. I mean, I met some really incredible people in my experience of Special Forces. And for me, that was one of the, the biggest things I got out of it. I really missed that, and I was just, I was ready to do something different, and, you know, life has a way of showing you what's important, so I was like, five years is the manslaughter term, I think.
0: (laughs) That's good. Did you ever try the uh, stellate ganglion block? Do you know what that is? I do know what it is. I haven't tried it. I haven't tried it. It's pretty cool. I've had it done. I think I was one of the, I don't want to say one of the first people, but the first series of people getting it. Done um, on like a test basis. But I remember it was just like cool. So it's like this huge long needle that goes in your neck, like all of, I mean, pretty deep in there. And uh, there's like some numbing agent. And I guess uh, I have no idea what it does, but uh, it kind of like calms down this place in your neck that may be like connected to your brain. It just calms you down for like a few weeks to a month. The guy who developed his name is uh, Sean Mulvaney. He's like an army doctor. I don't know if he's still in or he got out and now he's doing a bunch of like uh, further research on it, or he's um, you know he's been like publishing, speaking about it. It was because uh, I I got some of those you know runs where I was just irritable as shit, you know, and I got bothered with everything, and then I got that shot, and I was like, all the same stuff pisses me off, but I don't care about it, and I was kind of just like walking on a cloud. It was, uh, it was really interesting. I'd be, I'd be interested to like catch back up, but you should have Doc Mulvaney on, uh, on your show at some point. He's like a must get for you.
1: Yeah, I love that. I, say. I actually know a few people yeah. that have done, done that to great success. So let me ask you, what,
0: what was like the driving force that made you decide you wanted to get that done? I was just willing to be like a test subject. I didn't feel like I need something right now. I wasn't like grabbing for it, but I know that I can, well, at that point in my life, I could be a pretty irritable guy and uh, on some days pretty tough to get along with. And uh, yeah, I was like, I'll go check, try this out. So another buddy of mine got it done um, and he was like, oh, you should just try it and see how it feels. And then of course they want to hear about it from from you because it's a trial. It was like you fill out some questionnaires and uh, before and after and then tell, you know, how it went for you. And I thought it was pretty cool. Like I wouldn't be going back to get it every few months or anything, but it was an interesting experience. And I really hope it helps people who do need that. I don't think that I was one of the people who, who severely needed it. I was just willing to be a test run. But uh, I think that it does have the power to help people a lot in dealing with stress and irritability. And then even like some other stuff that I didn't or don't experience that it's also supposed to help with. Matt, how long ago did you get that done? Seven years ago. It's been developing for a long time. How long did it last? Two weeks. Some people say it lasts up to like a couple months. I think I was on the shorter end.
1: Did the awareness of it, that you could be aware of all the things that annoyed you without being annoyed did that help you create that more in your life without that
0: I think so but also a part of that is just growing up and becoming more a part of that is just becoming more self-aware over time but I think in the moment it it did help me yeah I wasn't like uh, God I need something or I'm gonna you know blow my top it was like you know I pissed some people off yesterday and and I don't (laughs) I don't like being like that But I was also in a place where you could be a complete dickhead at work. And if you did your job well, like it would breeze over and it was kind of like, uh, you know.
1: Yeah, it was accepted.
0: Yeah. So you were the intelligence sergeant on our team when we served on a team. So did you keep just doing stuff in like on the Intel track?
1: Yeah, and then kind of ended up, yeah, just you end up working more alone and more inside which is great. It's, and it's a different kind of challenge. You know, it exposed me to a lot of things I wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise, but it's not what I wanted to do. One of the things that I really wanted to do, one of the things I loved about the army is doing hard shit outside, you know, doing challenging myself in nature. That was one of the the most rewarding aspects of my military service. And And now you're
0: at 15 (laughs) or you you're sitting there at 15 years and you're like, jamming intel reports at a computer in a dark room or what
1: yeah pretty much yeah yeah <laughs> that's what it, that's what it felt like you know maybe it wasn't exactly that but that's what it felt like more and more and more and uh, there was other yeah. things i wanted to do when i left the military i was and am fortunate enough that i knew how long i could go without working you know i was pretty good with money for a little a little bit very lucky so i knew i could go a long time without working and quite frankly like i just wanted to do shit i enjoyed after 15 years of being told when to show up, where to show up, what to wear, you know, just all that stuff, I was like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And um, yeah. it was explore shit, explore the shit that I'm interested in. Creativity, you know, that, that was, that's why I wanted to do that. The big issue that I did have, that I did run into during the transition was I didn't have a clear, other than explore the things that I was interested in, I didn't have a clear vision of what I wanted to do with my time in terms of like. I have I've strong ambition and uh, mm. a tremendous amount of existential angst that I believe is only
0: remedied by deep and uh, severe challenge. Is that what you were looking for when you first joined the Army? For sure. I know you're a different person at the point you join and when you get out, because 15 years is a long time for an adult male to develop. But uh, Yeah, for sure. Is that where you were after when you first came in?
1: That and... I mean, there's several things. I think the three key things you talk about on the show that, I mean, I really relate with is identity, community, and purpose, right? Yeah, that's
0: trademarked by us. Actually, really before nice I answer that, where, where, did, where did you come up with that? Just listening to other people. Okay. It just formed All itself. the shit that Ben and I know about transition is just rank ordering the stuff that comes on this show the most. What do you mean? You can just you could just learn about it from listening to other people. So we never came up with we never sat down and wrote down like you know, it's a it's a combination of like identity, community, and purpose. It's this triad, and we put it out in a journal and had like a nice triangle PDF or something. Like, no, that's just the shit that I kept hearing. Uh, there's a fire truck outside. That's just the shit that I kept hearing from other people. And registered at the top of the list. So if you like it, you like it. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand it. It's not arbitrary. So, yeah, yeah. I, I try to focus on those three things when I talk to other people about transition. Or, you know, I, I do, like, some mentoring with a couple different groups or, or uh, you know, charities or whatever. Pick up the phone. People going to school. People trying to get into school. People trying to get a job. So, yeah, just comes up the most. Anyway, back to you. So you talked about this just transformative aspect of being in nature, challenging yourself and seeing where you couldn't go before. So I asked if that influenced you to join the military originally, and then you, you brought it back to this triad of uh, identity, community, and purpose. So if, if you can think back to what you were thinking at the time, what really drove you in? And you were pre-9-11? Yeah. I
1: was actually came active yeah. duty January 20, uh, uh, 2001. I'd been to basic training earlier. I was in the reserves, but I didn't really do anything, and I like, transferred units, and then I did a little bit of time, and I'm like, oh, fuck this, woman. what am I doing? I want to go active. I felt like I was just you know, not committing. There was something I wanted to do, and I just wasn't doing it.
0: What's joining the reserves like? How old were you when you joined the reserves?
1: Um, 20, 20, yeah. went to basic training. What was it for? What was it for? Um, generator mechanic. I went to basic oh, training nice. in, in uh, Kentucky and then went to AIT in Aberdeen, Maryland, and uh, okay. did that and then got to my unit. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, you're never going to fix a generator. We're going to become a supply unit. Yeah, and I, I wasn't really into it. I was moving anyway, so I transferred units, went IRR for a little while, and then I joined a uh, PSYOPs unit, actually. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah. And I was a broadcast journalist, but only in job title and everyone's IT. Just did some like on the job training.
0: What's that? Like a reserve broadcast journalist. You put in this like before Facebook or anything
1: like yeah, that. Yeah, it was. you doing uh, like armed
0: forces network
1: bits? No, you're doing, you're doing exercises. You're doing exercises like big, like, you know, pre global war on terrorism exercises that they run. You know, you're doing pieces for that, for that psyops piece, which I guess is MISO now or whatever. I don't know any of the current oh. stuff.
0: What do you mean exercises? Like you're reporting on it? Like
1: the leader of a country passed away and someone else stepped into their place and it's your efforts to influence the population in the direction that you know the government wants.
0: Oh, okay. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Or also messaging for natural disasters and things like that as well.
0: So when you go active, are you still like uh you get a job as a generator mechanic? I don't want to laugh at it, but um, <laughs> <laughs> No, I never did it. I, I so <laughs> ironically. So when you go active, you're like, I'm a you know, I'm a thirty-seven mic, whatever it is, generator mechanic. They're like, here, you're going to this unit. No, no,
1: Good no, luck. I, I went I went in as a CAP Scout. I had to go back to basic training at AIT and uh then oh, I shit. was in fourth ID for a couple of years until I went to selection then I came over to SWIC and I was in 10th group the whole time after that
0: yeah did you uh did you deploy in a big army in the GWAT I did not I did not no oh, okay so you went straight to uh special forces selection and then I went got in, out in the 10th group
1: well I went actually in November of 2002 cause we weren't going to Afghanistan we were just preparing for Iraq um I got the orders will cut and uh, actually um, the major, the S3, he was like, you know, he was a, he was like a buddy, not a buddy. Like we hung out, but he hung out with our platoon and he was a super cool dude. And he liked my attitude. And he's like, I don't think you need to go on this deployment. He's like, I'm just going to take you off stop loss. And uh, so you can take your orders to
0: Swick. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So did that. Yeah, but- I mean, I wasn't, I, I was, I was in a unit that wasn't going to deploy before I was ready. And I was like, I'm going to just go get my green beret. Yeah. Fucking those guys get it on. So let me go do that.
1: Plus, I also felt like in special forces, there would be better training and tactics. Not that, the big, not that the military doesn't have good training and tactics, but we were preparing to fight the Russians. You know, it was like big. All the exercises that we did were force on force, like first cav versus four ID. It was just huge force on force exercises and I didn't, yeah. um, which that was their job, but I didn't think that's what I would actually end up doing. <laughs> I thought I'd be in the middle of the city getting shot at, trying not to die. And um, yeah. I also thought that special forces would be, I'd be better trained to deal with that. But I actually came yeah. in with the intention of going special forces. That was my that was my intention of coming in. And actually to come back around to the, the triad, I don't think anyone joins an organization whose motto is free the oppressed, who doesn't want to do something good, who doesn't want to contribute in some way. I mean, I think every human wants to contribute in some way. I know I did. And I think the military and something like that, it's such a huge undertaking that it becomes your identity. It gives you a community. It gives you a sense of purpose, which all were things that I was looking for. And the main reason why I got out is I realized I couldn't do that to the best of my ability in the military any longer. Because I believe that service is one of the, the key elements of living a, a content life, of being fulfilled, of being you know, happy. At least it is for me.
0: For a lot of us, it seems like, and this has come up as well, so I'm really just regurgitating old conversations. But for a lot of us, there's a point that it seems like military service is not, maybe not the only way to serve, but like the most noble way to serve. And a lot of that got hyped after 9-11, but did you feel like there was a point where you had to realize that there are other ways to have a purposeful life or or the other things you said, build an identity, build a community?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was basically, when I got out of the military, I came to a realization that I was not like a disaster human being. Like, I mean, I paid my bills, I did my taxes, you know, I, I did all the things that people are supposed to do, but internally I was just not happy. I was not happy. I had this, like I said, incredible existential angst all the time, just like overwhelming. And uh, because of it, I, did, I made a lot of selfish, selfish decisions. I think it's the source of all addictions, is that angst. And uh, I knew that I had to find a way to deal with that. That was more important than anything else I, had, I wanted to do at the time to me. So I decided I was gonna, I was gonna figure that out. I was gonna take care of that. Hmm. <laughs> I had no idea what that meant But uh, that was That's what I was going to do
0: So from the time that you Get to your first SF detachment To the time that you get out It's got to be fun for a while And then I I won't even ask you Because I know that our team Was the best one that you were ever on
1: It it actually Um, was You're right
0: You're right How Yeah For Uh, sure I had the I probably had the most fun Honestly (laughs) I know I I told you I didn't have to ask. <laughs> so for you looking back, what is that what is that arc like from brand new Green Beret to figuring out that maybe there's not much left here for me and actually making the decision? How many like how many phases, how many seasons are along the way there? There's
1: quite a few seasons. I think one of the
0: biggest... Not literally, like yeah, multiplying years by four.
1: I, I knew what you meant.
0: <laughs> I know that you do.
1: <laughs> Metaphorically, speaking my language.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. One of the biggest like areas of growth and challenge for me was, in development, was joy in the pursuit of excellence. I was actually thinking about this. I'm like, how can I describe the big thing, the big element in me that was transformed? And uh, it was join the pursuit of excellence. I mean, I've seen it with so many different people, you know, they, there is a satisfaction in doing something that is incredibly challenging and doing it to just, you know, the best that you can do at that moment. moment. And that for me was the one where I I felt like I could do something good. When I felt like that, I felt, you know, maybe, maybe I can make some good, maybe I can make a positive change,
0: but I was How'd you define excellence for yourself at that point though? My, just performance. Because for, for me, excellent could be like being the best shooter, being the fastest, being the person to the top of the mountain first. Yeah. Um, but it could be like a outcome from a mission, right? Uh, it could be, you know, village stability in a foreign country. It could be number of kids at your med clinic that you got healed. Like, I, I totally understand you on... on fulfillment from pursuit of excellence, where were you defining excellence? And I guess in mm-hmm. what order?
1: Well, I don't think I was consciously aware of it at the time. And most of my drive was to just perform better as an individual and then therefore as part of the team. My lack of conscious awareness of it prevented me from really reaching the levels of excellence that you know, I, I could have, which I think is everyone's case at all points because there's no limit to the level that you can perform at at any given moment. One of the things that was like a big driving factor for me is I wanted to be an asset to every team. So for me, that was one of the things that I was consciously aware of, that I was consciously consciously trying to do, trying to become value-added.
0: Yeah. People always want to (laughs) juxtapose asset versus liability, but it's not necessarily a liability. You could be a guy who's like just there. True. But as like a younger Green Beret, how did you position yourself to be an asset to your team. Improve myself. Cuz I know at a certain skills. point when you go to the Intel Sergeant course like that's kind of a s- stamp of being an asset to your team, right? Yeah. Like at that point you turn into the guy, but when you have to navigate that water by yourself, what are you doing?
1: Trying to improve myself physically, mentally, my skills, my knowledge, try to balance, you know. Schedules get crazy and uh it's hard to maintain the proper focus to be at a high level at all those continuously.
0: So what's on your plate, like physical fitness, shooting, being good at your job, being good at, like, deployment tasks, being good at your combat skills? Um, well, also, before we met, were you were you doing a lot, like, what kind of missions were you doing? Were you doing, like, working through Afghans or Iraqis, or were you doing more unilateral stuff? I did both, actually. I did three tours in Iraq before I came over to um,
1: 110, and it was some bilateral stuff, but it was, it was a lot of work. I worked with the commandos in 2007. So it was a lot of training and, you know, bilateral stuff with, with that. Yeah. I'm th- <laughs> actually, I actually haven't thought about this shit in a while. You know? That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's years ago now.
0: Yeah. but I, I lost the question. Sorry. Oh, so I'm saying like, you've got a lot of shit on your plate as like, a <laughs> you know, self-proclaimed Jack of all trades that a lot of, Marine Berets are. So, I guess what if you have a limited calendar or a limited schedule, where are you allocating your time and effort to try to grow in the right areas? Well, physically,
1: uh, although to be 100% honest, I wasn't as committed to that, you know, because I still drank all the time and, you know, I still partied. Yeah. <laughs> but knowledge, the intellectual engine, because, you know, I know I have some power there. So, I read a lot of books about just historical things, how they applied, current things, watched a ton of news, which is probably pretty unhealthy, but it's informative, especially when you're reading like all kinds of intel reports. and It gives you the ability to read between the lines because you have information that isn't on the news and then you can compare it to the news and it develops the ability to see the missing pieces because you know the missing pieces. I thought that was actually very useful, but I don't know how great of a... A time allocation, it probably is though. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of, there was some family time that suffered as well, you know, obviously. Yeah. I mean, you know, we worked long hours, as you know.
0: Yeah. Oh, of course. So, family time, your kids are pretty separate in age, or your kids are separated by like 10 years or so, right? 12 years, 11 years. Yeah. Yeah. 11 years. What was it like having kids at like different phases of your own life? Enlightening. Uh, Enlightening, yeah. Enlightening.
1: I mean, kids are an incredible teacher. You know, they teach you a tremendous amount about yourself, about the world, about how you actually impact things. Um, It's one of the most challenging things I've ever done, but also one of the most rewarding. I love being a dad. I wish I could go back to you know nineteen-year-old me. That's how old when I became a dad, and just tell him a few things. But uh, you know, it's the thing about living is hopefully you learn. Ideally, that's my goal It's to learn. And I learned that the time you spend with people it should be valued. It should be treated with respect. It should be honored. That's something I did not do as much of when I was in the military with my family time because I was stressed or I was annoyed or I was, you know, thinking about this or thinking about that. I always had, I always had something. I was some energy that was not properly
0: put to bed or something. I don't know. It was continuous. Is there a different energy that you get for work and family? Is it coming from the same source or same jar or, or however you want to? Cause I, you know, I don't have kids. I didn't have kids in the military. I, I had like a very single focus, right? It was yeah. a job, job focus over everything else. But I, you know, I talked to people who have families and had them in the military and, and, Do you have a different like the do you have a different well of energy for your job in the military and what drives you there and a different well of energy at home, or do you have to use the same in both? I felt like at the time I had to draw on two
1: different wells, but the reality was that overwhelming existential angst that I experienced, I experienced it in the military too, and I didn't know what it was. And I tried to channel it in ways that didn't fully fulfill it and that prevented me from just being present just being totally present I did feel divided in my attention at times I couldn't divorce one from the other when it came time to do something really intense I mean you can't think about your family you can't you have to be focused on what you're doing or you're gonna fuck yourself up or fuck somebody else up you know you got to be paying attention to what you're doing and so it's easy to it was easier for me to separate the two along those lines it's hard when you're you know your kid wants to play ninjas or whatever the hell 2-year-olds want to play you know and you're like mine's you know still going you can't just shut it off because it's it's a different kind of energy that giving yourself completely to a task is a different type of well not energy it's a different type of skill and yeah one of the things that I've actually been working on for years now is developing that same ability to put myself into every single moment that intensity that you experience in that Connection to nature and just the flow and all that shit. When you're completely focused on something really, really challenging, it's incredibly rewarding. Which I'm sure you, I'm sure you know. I don't know if you ever, you know, considered it like that, but it's something that I've experienced over and over and over again. And I've been trying to figure out how to put that into everything that I do, which is not an easy task.
0: We talked about this on the Joe episode. I got cut off because I was getting like super long-winded, but. It's easy to spend energy on things that are simple and hard. (laughs) It's frustrating to spend energy on things that are complex and easy. And then there's no energy on things that are easy and simple. And then the things that are complex and hard are just like, you know, truly rewarding. So if you imagine a two by two matrix, complex and simple and easy and hard, what are you doing and where does it sit? Simple hard things are like running a marathon, right? It's like one direction, and you can get like a really, you can get a sense of accomplishment out of it because it is hard, especially physical stuff, you know, because it wears on you. You can actually feel it. There's a physiological response to it. But things that like parenting, I can only imagine, is uh, hard and complex, right? That's true. There's tons of different smaller things and. You know, it's not just your action, it's the, it's the reaction that you're inducing, and then it's your reaction to that. That's so, actually one I that I think I'm about quite a that. bit. Oh, yeah? Oh, fuck yeah. Hell, I mean, yeah. I'm, I been, I'm,
1: a, I'm a dad, you know, I, I, my son lives with me half the time, and I have my older son. We don't have a relationship. A couple years ago, he stopped speaking to me, and uh, it was pretty devastating. Not pretty devastating, it was terribly devastating and it made me really evaluate just my entire view of myself and how my actions affect other people. And I realized that it's not always positive and that is just not how I want to be. It's not how I want to be. You know, I want to be an empowering person, but I really, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to do that. I felt inspired by people, but I, I've never, I didn't know how to be like empowering, you know? I've experienced it with people. Others. Yeah, just to everyone, to everyone, to everyone, to every moment, to everything. You know, just give mm. just give as much as I can to it. I mean, that's complex and hard. <laughs> yeah. It's really complex and hard. And uh, it involves yeah. a lot. It involves a lot. And for me, it involves an incredible exploration within goals that are potentially decades away, which I find oftentimes very intimidating. You know, how do I commit for 30 years when... Or maybe more. I don't know how long it takes. I mean, that's almost as long as I've been alive. You've been alive a lot longer than that, though. It's <laughs> actually about one and a half times longer. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it's decades long commitment. How does that feel to you when you lose a relationship like that? I mean, even if it's even if it's temporary, adults have you know adults go through shit. But at the moment, what did you? do after
2: that?
1: After I stopped feeling sorry for myself and uh, trying to justify all my shitty behavior away?
0: I mean, that's probably one of the that's like probably one of the logical steps is self-justification, right? Yeah,
1: well I did that, for sure. Then I looked in a mirror as deeply and as honestly as I could. Still am. And just tried to let shit go. Just let all kinds of nonsense and bad behavior and selfishness and self-servingness and just all of that crap just try to let it go and just try to be kind and loving and present and not make it about me make it about everything else everything else i mean that didn't happen overnight you know that's just what i'm coming to now you know Um, yeah but it's for me, like the, it's literally one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. But at the same yeah. time, it's led to one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Having that realization is one of the best things that's ever happened to me. It's on par with me at the birth of my children. It's completely changed my life. It's made me a better person. That calm that you talked about with the shot, I feel that, like I feel that on a daily basis now. When I go on a walk, I went on a walk this morning before the snowstorm. And I was just overcome with it, overcome with it. It's beautiful. I don't experience that continuously. I mean, I have ups and downs, like daily, sometimes hourly.
0: But, yeah. It, it That's, like, incredibly ironic that you say, you know, your older son telling you that, you know, he doesn't want to have a relationship with you right now is on par for you with the birth of your kids. Yeah. In gravity. Not that, I mean on one end and it's an incredibly joyous occasion on the other end it's an incredibly devastating occasion but in terms of gravity and allowing you to grow as a person and then probably have the long term goal of reconciling that right? Well I think now I couldn't have had the relationship that he obviously
1: needed and now I can how does it get better than that? Even if it hasn't yet if it's yet to be reconciled but it's also it's made me a better person with My younger son, I mean, it made me a better parent with my younger son. It's made me a better human to all people. I mean, that's a good thing.
0: All right. So everybody knows you as kind of a cerebral dude, Noah. Even back when you came over to Germany, we got to be on the same team together. Kind of at that point, you were an Intel sergeant too. So you had gone on from being an engineer uh, to being the Intel guy on the team. Did you always have, like, this thirst for knowledge and learning? How did you feed that during your time in the Army? Could you, like, adequately feed it? I could not adequately feed it.
1: I devoured—I read a lot. I read a lot. I paid attention to patterns. That was my favorite thing in the military. It was paying attention to patterns. I think that's what intel is, really. I mean, it's what— people behave in patterns things happen in patterns you know that's the way the universe operates so I paid attention to patterns yeah like what I, I like. read I watched people I watched how things unfolded I watched how I, I, I evaluated my actions and how they created many times opposite the effect I wanted them to in some situations and um, I just paid attention to those things every, every time I encountered it I tried to pay attention to it in every way in mm. like different relationships and Different settings, and that was my main hobby. Actually, that does make on the job what helped you to what's that? That does sound very like I don't even know, esoteric. I know, hand me the joint, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how that's like a joint metaphor, but oh,
0: it is, is it okay? Yeah, we were on a training trip and. I think that I said something to you because you quoted this back to me like several years, several years later and I forget even saying it to you but apparently you remembered. I said they pick us to do things because when everything else gets more chaotic all we do is get more calm and focused so we react in the opposite uh, and that's how we accomplish hard stuff. Do you remember that? Uh, very much so. Oh, very okay, much so. Cool. It was actually yeah.
1: after we were, um, in Poland, we flew back from Poland and we did, a an exercise, like when we got back, we couldn't go home, you know, <laughs> and I was just super annoyed. I was super fucking annoyed. And the annoyance is actually a lack of acceptance. It's not wanting to, we're not wanting what's going on to happen, to continue to happen. But that doesn't change it. Like my desire for something not to be away doesn't make it change whatsoever. And when you said that, that became obvious to me that the only thing that was preventing me from being as focused and calm as I needed to be was just accepting the situation as it was 100%, period. And I actually really appreciate it because that's something that I've actually spent years developing, working towards that point. To achieve that to ever greater degree, with
0: yeah. varying degrees of success. That, that's my uh, that's my army nirvana for you, dude. That's before who's passing Victor the joint now, man? <laughs> yeah, know. totally. That's before I even read Victor Frankl, who I think was like, you can't change what's happening to you; you can only change your reaction to it. I mean, or, that's... or uh, the way you feel about it. It's either like Victor Frankl or, or yeah. just like some Buddhist stuff
1: that's Frank um, it's Buddhist it's science it's science everything mm, everything you experience mm. in your life already occurred all the sensory input mm. that you get from the environment it's processed in your brain and then you see a rendering of it it happened essentially eternally ago if once it's in the past it's gone there's nothing you can change about it it's impossible so mm. it's not just a philosophy it's a, it's science I mean I actually think science shouldn't form philosophy but
0: Well, yeah, who who was it? Thales, who said everything is water? I mean, that's just wrong. But uh, originally philosophers were just the scientists until we came up with science, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, someone picked that up and said everything's made of smaller parts, and then we came up with the atom and the quark eventually. But, you know, we had to get on the right track somewhere. Yeah.
1: So can we bring up the fact that you did some plastic surgery
0: on my face and it, you know, looks pretty good. just want to thank you. Shout out. Actually, yeah, we can. Because you just said stitched up a second ago. But in training, that generally means that you get blasted with like a bunch of plastic paint rounds, which, you know, don't. Yeah, they don't tickle. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's not. so a long time ago. I was a special forces medic. Noah and I were on the same team. Noah got shot in the face with, like, a plastic paint round. Mm-hmm. Those little suckers were, like, frozen solid. Noah took one off the lip. There was another medic there who just figured that he would put some super glue on it. Yeah, and, much. like, call it good. So Noah comes back to the team room, and I was like, what the fuck happened to your lip? Or maybe I was... It was the you next know, morning. Uh, whenever I saw him when, that, that oh, night, the next morning? That,
1: that night I took the bandage off, and it just completely opened up. And I called you, and you're like, <laughs> "I think you might have been intoxicated at the time." So you're like, "I'll probably do better work in the morning." Um, yeah, okay. No, I'm just cool. kidding. You so were actually, you I don't up think you were. Actually, don't think you were drinking at the time. But yeah, showed up in the morning and you picked all the glue out and the hair and put it together. It's very nice. You people, <laughs> you people in yeah. uh, Audio Land can't hear, but. You know, my, my smile's still pretty, thanks to
0: Maddie DeVivo. Because the super glue was still there, but, like, the lip was still, like, open. So I, uh, I had to grab, like, the little tweezers, whatever you call them, had a little scalpel and, like, cut the glue back out, washed it, and uh did some pretty good work. I yeah. mean, I, I was not a good medic, but I could <laughs> stitch pretty well. Oh, you did uh, a good job. So now you don't have such a fucked up face. Exactly. Uh, and... You people still look at you. Thank God. And then we had Peanut Gallery Charlie standing there in my medic room. I remember like heckling you the whole time. I don't even remember that part. All right. You said that our team was the most fun that you ever had. So after we part ways, what are the other steps from there until you're sitting in a dark room alone, jamming Intel reports, and decide to make the decision to get out?
1: Well, I was in the dark rooms pretty quickly after that but the decision to get out came uh, a year before i actually did it i was in uh, yeah. i did a year in sudan i missed all of my kids first grade i realized i hadn't been with my oldest son for a birthday for all 18 years of his life and i was just like what am i doing <laughs> you know this isn't even what i want to do anymore although that experience was incredible and i'm incredibly grateful and i, I love The opportunity, I got to meet some incredible people and it really expanded my entire worldview. But that was the defining line of like, okay, I got to I got to do something different. You know, I can't give the most here anymore. Is it the Sudan? I don't think the people from there call it the Sudan, but. (laughs) Aren't you supposed to call it that? Yeah, I think so. But I don't know. No one there like ever called it. Welcome to the Sudan. You know, there's no (laughs) one. Is that how it went down?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just uh, I've heard that. Like, uh, okay. I mean, it's probably worthless commentary for the show, actually. (laughs) But I've just heard people say, (laughs) I've heard people say the Sudan. Is that not a thing? It's a thing. It's a thing. But. Okay. Why? I'm I'm actually curious. Tell me. I'm not not sure why. Certain,
1: Certain countries, I think, have it, like the Ukraine. But I don't know. Some people find yeah, it offensive. I don't that's know. another one. Yeah. Some people find it offensive. I forget the reasons why. I don't know. I didn't experience any of the locals referring it to the, as the Sudan. It was mostly like, you know, the non-locals,
0: but just here. If you're a local, you're just like, yeah, it's here. It's like, uh,
1: you know, home. well, they just say Sudan. You know, you don't say the uh, United States of America. Yes. Yes. I love living in the United States of America.
0: <laughs> what? God bless mean, the USA. Lee Greenwood. <laughs> so the proper it's, name is it's the it's Sudan. The, yes. it's the proper the name is United the States. states. Sudan, yeah. What? The proper name is the Sudan.
1: Yes, that is correct.
0: Yeah, I just don't know why that is. Like it's the United States. I understand because the, the states, right? The. <laughs> You're asking beyond, beyond my, like uh, my beyond my wisdom. On right. Well, it's a good thing it's not a fucking State Department podcast, or we're both <laughs> failing right now. But I need to. I'm going to go look up why some countries have a the and some don't the United Kingdom. That So maybe it's just a, a one-word country with the is strange to me. Because I understand, like, the United Kingdom, the United States, the kingdom of whatever, but the Ukraine and the Sudan, I don't understand.
1: Aren't most names in Arabic, like, the name of the country? I don't know. I speak German. Oh. I speak, I speak English. Das. <laughs> most of the time. Das Sudan. Das Sudan?
0: Though. <laughs> no. All right, cool. Back on track. (laughs) What was the Sudan trip like? Because I only know you from. I think we did an Iraq trip. We did like an Iraq trip together, but I don't think. I actually saw you
1: right before I went to um, Sudan. We hung out in Germany. The Sudan was, it was the Sudan. In a lot of ways, it was a great experience. You know, it was uh, interesting to be in a country where it's very oppressive. The government and the intelligence service pretty much control everything. Um, There's a lot of conflict, but. At the same time, it's just, it's just like every other place on the planet with people trying to do, you know, trying to live their lives in this just kind of challenging situation. But I mean, like the State Department is full of some really like brilliant people. And being able to spend a lot of time with them, you know, I found intellectually engaging, which I enjoy. It gave me just a different perspective because I was just doing and involved and around things that I wasn't normally involved in. And I really, really enjoyed that aspect of it a great deal. Free time was kind of like, what the hell am I supposed to do with myself? Cause you can't even leave the capital city without permission from the government. So, and then you have to get a con op from, you know, back in Germany and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of working out, which is, you know, good for the mind, I guess. But that yeah. was, that was the biggest kind of pain in the ass aspect of it. It was hard to, hard to get out to like nature cause you're in the city, but it was cool uh, because you're right there on the confluence of the Nile, which I thought was super neat. Um, I got to see the pyramids. That was a cool little side trip I made. The top of all the pyramids is missing and has been reconstructed because apparently some Nazi commander was convinced that there was gold in these things. And so they blew, like, the top of them off, which is, I mean, they're only, like, 20 feet tall. They're not, like, this, the size of the ones in Egypt. What, the pyramids 20 feet tall? Yeah. They're the ones in Sudan. They're not as big as the ones in Egypt. Oh. Like, the set I of why I know pyramids that are
0: Well, plus you can't just go to. That's why you never see the Sudanese pyramids in National Geographic. No offense, Sudan.
1: Well, also, you can't really. It's hard to get. It's hard to visit. You know, it's hard to travel. You know, all those things.
0: all right time for intermission here everybody first we mentioned on the show that noah and megan from episode 19 are working on a show together so we'll keep you updated when more of that materializes stay tuned if you're not already following us on instagram or twitter please go do that at thank you now what you'll see show updates audiogram content and see us follow even more of our prior guests and what they're up to If you're in the search for some show swag, head over to our website at ThankYouNowWhat.com and click the merchandise link. You'll get to see our very cool and very subtle show design our buddy Chris put together for us. We've got a few colors, and I went ahead and got the army green because, of course, why not? It also looks and feels great. Go ahead and check it out. You can still find everything else about us at ThankYouNowWhat.com. There we have our entire backlog of episodes and descriptions. If you'd like to contribute to the show, you'll see some links for PayPal and Patreon. If you're on Patreon, you get more perks starting at just a dollar an episode. Click the link or head to patreon.com slash to see more. Please know that when you share with us in the cost of doing business, whatever doesn't go straight to production costs gets redirected to nonprofits that support or honor veterans. Very sincere. Thank you to those who take part. We're very humbled that you enjoy the show enough to do so. We appreciate any reviews you can give us on any podcast player you're enjoying. As I'm recording this, we're at 49 five-star Apple podcast reviews, so let's see if you're the one who can get us to 50. If you do nothing else, please go ahead and tell someone about the show so we can get that word of mouth. Thanks, and let's get back to this episode. All right, so when do you start thinking about film school? Not that that's all you're thinking about, but it's a good headline. <laughs> you said like, a year before you got out, you start thinking about getting out. So what do you actually start thinking of? You start making plans? Do you start just like simply brainstorming? I know that there's a bunch of stuff that you want to get into. So you decide on film school. Now you're back in school for, you know scientific research or the cosmos or whatever. The fuck are you doing right now. Take us through your like transitionary period when it becomes a reality
1: well I didn't have a great plan other than go to school here and then go to California at some point in the future and just figure it out, which is asinine, but the only planning I really did yeah, but the only planning I really did was money that was the only thing I really did um, was I'm like, can I afford this? Can I afford to fuck off you know, and um not work and because the answer was yes. I'm like, I'm going to do that. And so I went to film mm-hmm. school in Colorado. It was really a great experience. I learned a ton about storytelling and it just increased my desire to learn more about the depths of storytelling, which I did and still do. And then along the way I went to California with the acting school for a little while. It's actually where I met Nate, guest number eight or whatever. <laughs>
0: uh, oh yeah. You didn't. uh Yeah. You didn't know Nate from the Army? You met him after? Yeah, I met him. Or you just got, like, connected through mutual friends, obviously, because he's a Green Beret. No, I just
1: met him. I went to – somebody told me about, like, this workout thing, and I went um, for MVP. I went for MVP. And so I went. Oh, oh really? I met him, and then – yeah. Yeah. And we had some, oh. you know, just mutual coworkers. You know, we just talked, and then uh, a couple months later, he's like – I asked if he knew somebody who was looking for, like, an apartment. A couple months later, he's like, hey, you still looking for an apartment? I'm like, yeah, and we started looking at apartments, got an apartment together and like hung out, did that for a little while. I mean, Nate's a great freaking dude. He's a great human being. Yeah. It was an interesting yeah. experience to, uh,
0: <laughs> you know, to see him in full force. If You're a committed listener to the show. You, it might be worth knowing that Noah has booked a couple of our uh, more impactful guests. So Nate Boyer and Sally Roberts.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, Sally. Yeah. Sally's
0: awesome. Sally's high energy. Sally's high energy. Of course I know that you know her. You're the one who hooked us up for yeah. the podcast. <laughs> I was telling the <laughs> I was telling the the listeners. <laughs> you did a film was this during school on Sally or kind of inspired by her?
1: Yeah, was just I'm inspired by all kinds of shit and I just took like a little piece of something that I found inspiring in her story and uh tried to spin a little a little short film on it for film school. Hmm. Which is One of the things, not one of the things, that is what I want to do with storytelling, is find things that I'm inspired by in life and then tell compelling fictional stories about them so people can potentially learn the things I learned and other things, their own things, more things.
0: You said compelling fictional stories, specifically.
1: I mean, I think you can tell more truth with fiction than you can with facts. Because if you want to tell a story about someone's efforts to overcome some obstacle... The fact is that every day they took a piss. That's not really important. Okay. I mean, that's a that's an interesting, a strange detail, but
0: yeah, you never really see uh, Luke Skywalker stop to take a piss. Yeah,
1: it's not it's not part of the story. It doesn't it doesn't help. Do I have thought
0: about that before, but I've never discussed it with anyone. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't watch Star Wars, but I have thought like you know, hey, I've been you know watching four seasons of this TV show. You know, you never see someone just, you know, stop for a sandwich in the wire <laughs> and they're just, just like standing in the deli. That's an awesome show. It's one of the best. So you're saying that like you can get the point across with fiction, but it doesn't mean that people aren't going through this uh, in real time all the time. Yeah, too, absolutely.
1: Right? Absolutely. I think not think we human beings live in a world of narrative. We live in a world that is. Manufactured in our minds, I mean not esoterically, literally, because everything that you see is infinitely complex, you don't see the infinite complexity of it, you just see this image mm. that your mind creates from the sensory data you get, but it's infinite, so you don't none of mm. us see the real world we see an, an an imagination of it like a an image that exists only in our minds
0: yeah, now you're getting into some crazy Noah shit. That's
1: right, man. Nothing
0: is nothing is real. It's only the projection onto our brains.
1: Well, th- there is an objective reality. We are just in our capacity as human beings, we can only experience a finite amount of it. That's why when your rendering of the world is in line with reality, you can get the results you want, positive or negative. That is science. That is how the world is.
0: I always call you up with like sci-fi movie uh, inspiration. And I don't want to actually do the work to write it myself. So I just want to tell <laughs> you about it. And then imagine that you would just have all this free time to write it for me. I like your self-awareness. it. Yeah. I told you about this like a couple months ago. I was like, I and I won't even tell I won't even talk about this on the podcast because it's such a great friggin' concept for a movie. But I was like, we have to write this. I don't have any time. Do you want to write this? <laughs> No, the thing about, like, reality tell or fiction telling a good story, dude, same on science fiction, and if anybody wants to blast me for liking this TV show, go ahead. But I absolutely love the show Battlestar Galactica. It, sound- it probably has the nerdiest show title in and of itself of any science fiction out there. But mm. I think that the best science fiction is effectively telling us something about the human condition
1: that's what all stories are doing otherwise
0: they suck right exactly otherwise they suck but like there's science fiction out there where it's just like oh it's a creepy monster from another planet like that sucks but if if you've seen a show like Battlestar, you know it's like incredibly complex even though some of the stuff is hokey on it
1: that's the power of fiction fiction can take this world that's different than ours in this unique and exciting way and still tell a human story that we get something out of yeah. that we can learn from. I mean, that's why we watch this stuff. That's why we're obsessed with it is because it's a way of experiencing another way of living, which gives us knowledge. Even if we don't consciously realize it. Yeah, that's definitely.
0: Right. So you is get out to lead you
2: to film. I'm so curious about this because I mean, film messes with the mind. It takes it to the the max. Like what is it? 24 frames. It's just 24 still frames is enough to trick your brain into thinking that, it's real motion. And when you're in a movie theater, half your time in the movie theater, you're in darkness. What do you mean half the
0: time you're in darkness, Ben?
2: So the way it it works to trick your brain, I mean, and the the origins of film, it was really a bet, it was a gamble to see if a horse's feet all touched the ground at the same time. So they set up these cameras to just take pictures so they could see it's like, okay, are the feet hitting the ground at the same time? And they flipped it and they're like, whoa, that looked like it's in motion. So that's the, the birth of cinema. And so to trick your brain and to show 24, I mean, they used to do 18 frames, but you can cut, your brain can kind of see that. But at 24, it seems like motion. You have to have darkness in between each still frame being shown to you. So that's why half the time as it's cycling to the next picture to show you, it's, it's black. So there's all this like uh, film theory kind of getting into the French film theory and stuff where they'll talk about a lot of this projection of the mind where you have a collective audience sitting in the dark half the time. And so that's all about projection onto the mind from the medium. And I think that's where for me, I got really into sound. I always thought it was funny. I Like I personally invested when I made a film, I put all my money into the sound, even though I'm a picture guy and that's what I was doing for a living. And the idea behind that is like, Hey, like they're in darkness half the time, but they're listening. Like the sound is sampling and being listened to constantly. And it's just, you can lose an audience with bad sound and there's no way to get them back. But an audience is very forgiving of a bad picture at times. So, uh, pass the joint, man. I'm just trying to add to the conversation a little bit.
1: <laughs> well, everything that we create, everything that we create is just a, a reflection of reality. Okay. Can I get a little out there for a minute in case I haven't been there? That's why we brought you, man. <laughs> That's why you're here. Einstein said everything is geometry. I mean, I think he was right. I think a lot of people do think he's right. And everything in the universe is made up of all the other forces affecting that particular point in the universe. Every point, all of the points are just made up of all of the other things in the universe the forces from it, the gravity, the entanglement, everything, all the things we don't know about, all the things we do, it's, they all influence that to create that one point. And all we are is the observer. We are the one who gets to focus on what we want. That's what we do in life. Whenever we put our focus, that's where our energy goes, that's where our action goes. And the way our thoughts work is just, uh, it's similar to the way things in nature work. They're not separate. You know, Our thoughts and our intellect and our consciousness they came from nature they came from reality they don't obey the same laws of nature but they're similar they're just these replicating patterns that developed into this thing and film is able to capture an element of that that somehow connects us to this deep oneness that i think everyone desires to feel on some level and some of us much more than others or we're more aware of it Mm. but I i think film can do that good story can do that
2: that concept of focus seems to be like a through line and theme of this episode and what you've talked about. Like when I look to you're striving to reach perfection and craft and devoting your attention and focus to something which you both have found great success at doing is something that, you know, if you try to do that to everything in your life, like you'd go insane and you'd get nothing done. So it's like, you have to have a filter of some sort. And I'm, I'm just curious, like how that works for you guys. Like how do you, Is that an unconscious thing? Because, for instance, you could make, you know, waking up like the Japanese get super into it with like sushi, for instance. You know, you could choose one thing and just go forever on that. And how are are you choosing your focus? And has that changed over time? Or are you more conscious of it now? I'm far more conscious of it now. My main overarching
1: goal in life is continual self-development. I came to a realization, I was like 40 years old, cleaning my, cleaning my bathroom and I look in the mirror and I got 40 years more, maybe? Maybe I got 140 years, I don't know. Maybe I got 40 minutes, but there is a time limit and there will be a time when I'm done. And if you don't constantly prevent decay, you will decay. And the only way to prevent decay is with growth. And you can't just grow your, I mean, there's lots of ways you can grow yourself, but there's, all, there's a limit to all of those. In many aspects but in terms of developing who you are and expressing who you are the deepest aspect of yourself there's no limits to that that's what i want to do i mean there's lots of specific goals but that is my overarching life goal is continual self-development and it happens with varying degrees the japanese call that kaizen brilliant that a culture it's constant, constant improvement <laughs> yeah it's, it's 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 brilliant that a culture is like this is the thing that is important i respect that
0: very much so when you weren't so improved and you were just starting out in the film <laughs> industry tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that I'm so improved, you
1: know, like it's it's a it's a constant constant effort. It's continuous.
0: Yeah. How much are you in the and I don't say this to be offensive. How much are you in the trope of like packing everything you own into a car and driving to LA and figuring it out? Oh no.
1: that was totally that true. It was totally that true. It was. Yeah. Just, is it really? Yeah, very much so. Just like, all right, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to figure it out. Why do people do that? Well, I don't know why people do it. I know why I did it because okay. I w- did not have a clear vision without a clear vision. You can't develop clear goals without clear goals. You can't develop clear steps. And my, mm-hmm. my real visions, my honest visions um, I was 40 when I got out of the military. That's an entire lifetime, you know, that's more life than many people get. And I knew there were things that I wanted to do that I just wasn't doing. And I also wasn't being honest with myself about what those things really were because they're intimidating. And that lack of honesty prevented me from creating a clear vision. I'm just gonna figure it out, I'm just gonna wing it. I actually had a psychologist for this thing I did in, in, in Special Forces tell me, you think you can, you get through life by winging it because you can, and you could get a lot more done if you considered, you know,
0: things before. He He said it far more eloquently than I'm saying it, but he's like, you wing it a lot. Is being able to wing it domain specific? I find that it is, personally.
1: Well, it depends. When you have metrics for achievement, that's a little different. I mean, wing it in terms of life. I'm just gonna wing life, mm. you know? I'm just gonna oh. wing it.
0: I'm not gonna really like, I'm not just really- Just don't go poor and don't admit defeat and that's that's all you need right
1: yeah in so a way
0: self declare success in life i meant more of like success domain specifically like there's a lot of stuff i could do in the army where it's like wake up go knock it out i have the natural ability if i tried harder i could do it a lot better but i you know i did it just as good as anybody else so there's stuff in other domains where it takes all of me to get by I don't want to just wing it anymore. You know, I think that was one of the
1: things that prevented me in many ways from making good decisions. I want to be involved in the complex hard section of you know, that's where I want to put my focus because I have yeah. complex and challenging views of the way my life can be. And the yeah. the big thing um when I went to LA, I also I left my I left my my ex and my kid just like you got this, you know, like just incredibly selfish. Like I didn't appreciate the depth of my, my selfishness at all or my, the consequences that my actions had on other people. I just didn't appreciate it. And one of the things I want to do with my life was be a father. You can't be a father from a distance. I mean, it's, if you have to do it, you have to do it. But I didn't have to do it. And it's one of the things that gives me the most satisfaction in life now.
0: Because at some point you made the decision to come back to Colorado. I remember talking to you about that and that was like top of mind for you. Because I realized I was wrong. I was wrong, I was being selfish.
1: I was demanding of the world to provide me with this incredible goal only in the way I pictured it. Give me this thing only in this particular manner. There's an infinite number of options the way things can happen, infinite. I was restricting my worldview in a way that was just incredibly negative, and it was—I just couldn't look away from it anymore. And I, I spent a lot of years being negative and doing things that hurt people, not consciously. I wasn't trying to hurt anyone. I was just unaware. I was absorbed with my own self, self-survival, and that—that that awareness just ate on me. And I'm like, I can't—you know—I don't want to be like this. I want to—I want to be a father. I want to be there. I want to be a good role model, which is the most important thing you do mm-hmm. as a parent. It's really modeling, in my opinion you model behavior, you empower by the things you say, how you say it, you know, how you help structure time, but you model good behavior. Being absent is not good behavior. If you want to be in someone's Mm -hmm. life.
0: So you talked about existential angst and then selfishness and then realization and taking action on that selfishness. Was this the point where your older son kind of laid that on you or is this self-awareness developing over time? How does it actually happen?
1: Well, there was self-development and self-awareness that happened over time, but when that happened with my son, I just woke up one day. I could see Mm. the truth. I saw my life as one thing, and I was able to honestly look at it, and I found gratitude for it, even in, like, that was really the thing. I had to find gratitude for what I had. The more I could go into all of the negative shit that's happened in my life and all the bad things and give gratitude for it, the deeper and deeper my self-awareness became. My understanding and my commitment and my strength to do the right thing, what I believe is right. And so I just spent the next couple years trying to build good habits, trying to do the right thing, trying to say I'm sorry when I make mistakes, trying to be there for people. And also not only that, but um, to be there for myself, you know, to be, accepting and compassionate to myself too. Because if I could be that for myself, I can be that for other people. But my life has gotten better and better. I mean, I've had ups and downs and, you know, like bad things happen, but it's going just continue to improve.
0: When you're talking about the time that you're leaving the army, you kind of do this financial assessment and you're like, I can burn through this wad of cash for a while without worrying about having to make a living and kind of following a few goals that I want to do when when do you start having to focus more on like professional self-sustainability we've talked a lot about your personal life i think for the majority of the episode so in your professional life how are these two coexisting and coming along during the same period you know you've done some screenwriting you've done some acting uh you've produced some of your own stuff you've been in commercials advertising but where where is all the professional stuff happening while this is going on? Well, my
1: number one job was to figure my shit out. Number two job was to learn. I mean, that's still kind of my that's still kind of my job. At this point, I'm I'm more honest with what I really want to do with my time, because I realized that I don't have to do anything. I could not do anything, and I could you know live till i an old dude and probably not work hardly at all. For a while, I thought about doing that, <laughs> but I don't think that that is um, It's not satisfying. My big career goals now are they've really transformed over the last couple of years. From what to what? Well, storytelling is still a huge deal. It's still something not a huge deal. It's still a goal. Um, I've refined some specific things that I want to do. But my decision to go back to school to study sciences is, is the beginning of a path that I know will be quite extensive. I plan to get a PhD in physics. And I also know that there's a lot of other things I want to do in my life. So I'm not sure I can dedicate the next six continuous years to that as a sole endeavor. You know, so there might be, it might take longer. Who knows? It might take 10 years.
0: Well, you'll have to be a, like a TA or teach like an undergrad course while you're a PhD. <laughs> I think that's how you get by. Well, I have,
1: I have, a, I have a few a few things that I that I dabble in and a few things I want to do. Storytelling and sharing the things that i've learned finding a way to share the things that i've learned and the things that work for me with other people like that's what
0: i want to do that's why I want, that's why i study science as a means to tell a story or to, some mix of just your own personal wanting to understand the universe better
1: well i want to understand the universe better so i can tell more truth so sometimes you can tell more truth of fiction and sometimes you can tell more truth with science you know you can tell truth mm. in lots of different ways you can tell truth by the way you act with people. You can be true in the way you believe, the way you feel in your heart. I have some understanding of the way the world works that I would like to be able to explain so people can experiment on it and find out if that's really true. And then when those things do happen to be true, there's growth that comes from that. And if I have the ability to help future generations in some way, even if it's some small way, it's my duty to do so because everyone that came before me did that for me. I want to give that to generations beyond me.
0: I think that's interesting because the criteria for a PhD is a novel contribution to the field, right? Something that did not exist before.
1: Well, I got a few of those, I think.
0: (laughs) Can we talk about my favorite movie, Interstellar?
1: Yeah, it's a great movie.
0: Just because we're talking about physics and movies, you know, during this episode, science fiction with relativity incorporated into the plot why wasn't it done before then
1: they didn't get a real physicist before then i guess i don't know roger penrose i I mean
0: i guess christopher nolan and his brother probably just read that shit themselves and were like oh you mean every time they hit warp drive everyone you knew died just because of time i I
1: love it i think it's a great movie anytime you explore the aspect of reality like a deep aspect of reality to enhance storytelling it's it can be really entertaining because it's representative of the truth. The way time works and the way the universe works, our brains and our internal life and our consciousness and our thoughts and our emotions all evolve from that. They're not separate. They're not some mathematical anomaly. They evolve from the same forces that creates time dilation. So why the fuck wouldn't you put that in a movie is my question.
0: (laughs) Well, I just think it's interesting that you'll listen to a scientist and they'll say, time and space are intertwined and and you know gravity and time are intertwined and it's like okay yeah that's all well and good so no one put it on the you know on the big screen until you see that scene in the movie where they go down to the planet with the friggin waves and they come back an hour later and the dude in the space shuttle's like it's been 22 years they're like (laughs) holy shit and every time they make a mistake it like literally cost them the chance of seeing the people that they still know on Earth because they are going to die from old age and you've been on this, like, two-week expedition or however long they were on it. I mean, that is, like... Brilliant. That's, like, what gets me going from watching those kinds of movies. Me too. It actually makes me
1: think about a a, a question of why does that get you going? Like, why, why does that really drive you? I think part of that is... It taps into like the existential, like, why are we here? If everyone we know is gonna die and no matter what, which is true, what's the point? I mean, that's a real question that has to be answered for some people. <laughs> Otherwise you go crazy. You know, for me it's a question yeah. that has to be addressed. Must. Must be addressed.
0: It's like one of those days where you start thinking about how big the universe is and you don't leave your room for ten hours. <laughs> and you just <laughs> Crippled with anxiety. That's actually, oh. that's
1: what I do before I do my math to keep me at my desk doing calculus. I think about, <laughs> I think about the big picture and it allows me, it gives me the focus to stay with the very specific and detailed. That's ridiculous.
0: Something about that movie too is like, you know, they're pioneers. They're going on this journey, not knowing if they'll ever return or, or if they do, their family and loved ones will still be there or if they're creating a new world for new people or trying to preserve the world for the people who still exist, like, dude, that happened in the past to us yeah. too. It's like, if you were like Lewis and Clark, you're like, oh, well, you know, I might never make it back home. And if I do, it'll be like 10 years from now and it'll be a completely different place. Right. Like we are so comfortable with like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go to You know, I'm going to travel to Europe for like a few weeks and I'll come back and it'll just be the same. Dude, even going to combat, honestly, it's like, it is like a different world, but you get there and get back so quickly. It's like you, okay, I'm leaving now. Okay, I'm going to this other place. I'm going to see some wild shit, but I'll be back to my own place pretty soon. And it'll be pretty much like the same that I left it. And it's just going to be like four or five, six months or so. I actually experienced is that crazy because when you used to go to war you went on like an expedition like think about being in the roman army man you went like yeah well we're going to gaul i'll see you in five years you know make sure <laughs> make sure you try to <laughs> keep the kids fed that's what happened in world war ii you'll come back when we're done yeah well from d-day till ve day was like over or under a year but it's like a year you know so yeah it was Definitely. I mean, if you were in the National Guard in the early 2000s, like you did an 18-month deployment, which sucked ass, but yeah, um, not, yeah, you, uh, I mean, that's pretty admirable, dude. Admirable too. You go until the job's done and then come back. That's pretty cool. I'm glad I did. Older do wars that. are cool. Grateful. Great. <laughs> 1917, dude. How great of a fucking movie was that? That was a. Fantastic Since we're talking movie. about
1: movies, that was actually a, that was I think, in my mind, that might have been the best, the most. Invoking of actual war in terms of like the, the real intensity of like the darkness of it, it gave me the
0: most invocation of those of those feelings. From a like a movie watcher, I was glued to the screen for the entirety of nineteen seventeen. Yeah, me too. Glued to the screen. At least one of the best. And I heard before I went that it was supposed to be like a one shot movie, so that I, initially I was trying to like track that aspect of it. I understand that it it wasn't, but it was made to look like it. You know, like, if the guy's walking and the camera goes, like, behind a tree, but it's panning with him, like, they can take that opportunity to cut it, yeah. but it still looks like a one-shot movie. But I'm not holding that against them. It's a, a fucking incredible movie.
1: Yeah. I think that using that technique helped your immersion into it. I mean, that's the real secret for movies, right? Just get people to suspend disbelief and take the ride
0: and you're sitting there like with 1917 you're sitting there and that that one shot aspect of it like I remember coming home from the theater and all I was thinking about was I was thinking about a lot of stuff but one thing I was thinking about was like can I mentally trace the first scene to the last scene spatially because you should be able to if you pay close enough attention to the movie and just thinking about it it's like it had to be a it had to be, like, a physical distance that the main characters could cover, which then just shows you, like, how tight the lines were and the conflict was. Yeah. That you could travel for a day and cross enemy lines and then end up at a different flank with a different unit. I mean, yeah. I'll, I have to go watch it again this weekend or something. Yeah, that was an intense conflict. <laughs> yeah, no shit. World War One. I got a question for you. All right, when are we coming? What? When are we coming out with a our first sci-fi or war movie? I wrote a war movie uh,
1: script actually.
0: Yeah, I think I read that.
1: Yeah, did you? Not the not the Staplehead one. The
0: um, it's about rack. Oh, I yeah. did not read that one. Yeah,
1: and it needs to be rewritten. Everything needs to be rewritten as soon as it's done.
0: And we got to get it picked up. <laughs> I, I want to read you it. Know, I sound like a, now I sound like a big time producer. We got to get it picked up. I got I got a question for you. Why, why did you decide to do this podcast? See one, do one, man. I guess I, I have a good reason, but I wasn't like, I don't think burning to do it. I was just curious about it. I wanted to see if we could do it. I listen to a ton of podcasts. I very rarely listen to music, but if I'm like walking around or I'm not engaged in like deep work uh, or conversation with someone, but like if I'm not actually at work, you know, I'm in the driving, working out, cleaning house, walking somewhere, groceries, whatever. It's all podcasts because I've found this medium where I can learn and I can engage with other minds, even if it's a one-way engagement constantly. And like, I have a diversified list of shows that I subscribe to, but I kind of got interested in just like, how do you even do it? How do you commit to doing it? How do you make it sound good? How do you how do you create compelling stories that other people are interested in and want more of? So yeah, I just I wanted to do it and then topically, I kind of was thinking like I don't want to disparage anyone, but I really get sick of like the hokiness of veterans giving interviews or talking about any kind of veteran issues where I simply wanted to sit down with people that I found were interesting and just talk to them about their lived experience. And so if we could center that on this concept of transition, everybody goes through transitionary phases in life. We just all very certainly go through one that is very significant and uh, and we know it's coming and everyone does it. I guess I kind of Put that all together, and and then I asked Ben if he knew anyone who produces podcasts, and he goes, "Do you have a pitch?" And I was like, "No." So I wrote one, I gave it to him, and he's like, "Ah, oh, let's just do this together." It was like badass. And then we have pretty complementary skills and working styles, and we like doing it. So we're just gonna keep doing it as long as we like doing it. But yeah, it was kind of just to see what you know, see it, do it. I
1: enjoy it a lot. Uh, thanks. It's, it's interesting because you have uh, yeah you guys do do great work it's interesting because there's some really really high achievers some just brilliant people and uh, you do learn a lot from other people's shared experience you know because they're talking about how they figured it out you can get a lot out of that I yeah. loved loved the interview with Chase hey, hey man Chase if you're listening you're a badass dude thanks for being so honest and open it's inspirational man badass Really was. And yeah. I loved uh your question at the end, how you asked him about what he would do if he saw the guy that blew him up blew him up. I was like, man, it's perfect timing. It was well well done. Well done, sir.
0: Well, I actually thought about that question afterwards and I was like, that other guy probably didn't make it out of Fallujah alive. So <laughs> I'm sure he's not around anymore. But yeah, and I I was surprised by his response to that too. But yeah, I mean he obviously Chase has had one of the most compelling episodes that we've had on so far. I also like the the different directions that each conversation can take. Like some of them can be just pretty professional and uh, matter of fact. I think a really good example for that is Marshall. Marshall's one of the most matter of fact, logic driven people I know and probably have ever met. He's also one of the most brilliant people that I know personally. But the way he's able to, like, assess, decide, execute during not just, like, a narrow encounter, but, like, through the phases of his life is uh, really inspiring to learn from, you know. And then you go to a guy like Chase where it's, like, we are talking about some incredibly, like, heavy topics where he's really just taking us through the moment that he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. And actually, another thing about the show... I have just as much if not more fun talking to people who didn't do the same kind of things that I did in the military because I'm learning again. I mean, you know that for a lot of Green Berets, like we come from central casting. Joe said that on our last episode we recorded, so I probably stole that line from him. But there's just so much else that goes on. I mean, it's so complex and so vast and so many different types of people with different attributes and skills and points of view. It's like something I completely was not focused on for my whole time in the military. Because I, I was mission focused and I cared about the people on my own team and all the people that we worked with. That's a small sliver of the entire military. There's still a whole world of people that I didn't engage with and didn't know that well. It's a huge machine. so. It's an incredible machine, yeah.
1: Well, I think it's kind of representative yeah. of life on an even larger scale. Because all of society works because all these people are putting their energy into it, most of which you'll, almost all of which you'll never encounter in your entire life. Even if you encounter a new, per, new person every day. And we can all offer, I believe that all human beings can offer something to the world, to all humanity. That's not something I used to believe at all, <laughs> but I 100% believe that now.
0: People are well, Since you listen to the show, you know that at some point I'm going to ask you who you are today if you never joined the military. I thought about this.
1: I don't know. Drug-addled sex addict? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. I'm first. I, yeah, I jest. I think I would have been, not think, I was definitely, I needed some sort of martial pursuit. Um, I probably would have done something like that. Probably would have eventually ended up in school studying science. Probably chemistry. Something like that. I don't think I'd have the same depth of appreciation for joy from the pursuit of excellence, which really is, I've really come to appreciate more since my time out of the military. But I did, like I said, um, appreciate while we we're in. It's just something that has actually become more and more part of my life as it continues to go on. I don't know if I'd have that to the same level. I seriously doubt it. And I wouldn't have the incredible relationships and encounters with amazing human beings that I had. And I really did. I mean, I met some incredible people, and I learned a ton from every single one of them. Even the people that were less than stellar, even the you know, even the guys on the other end of the of the firing range, you know, it's I learned something from all of them that made me a, a better person. My experience in the military it helped me create a framework in which I could focus my discipline. It helped me hone that skill, and now I can do it in anything I want. I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful for all the people that I served with and interacted with and, you know, battled with all those things. I'm grateful for them too, because they helped, they helped me get to this point. And I mean, where I'd be, who really knows, but I'm yeah. incredibly grateful to be where I am right now. Why chemistry? I make drugs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right.
0: It was now we're going down a wall. No, like it was, that. it was
1: on the, it was on the drug adult sex joke. So, um, but I don't know. Okay. Chem- chemistry is fascinating. Right. You know, it's uh, it's probably an easier job to get than theoretical physicist.
0: How long is that? Uh, how far away is that?
1: Theoretical physicist? I do it right <laughs> now. I think I did some of it today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I've done a lot of theoretical physicists, or I'm a couple pints deep.
1: <laughs> um, it's a ways away, man. I'm uh, I'm actually only in calculus two. I got to do calculus three, discrete, um, discrete math, differential equations. And then before I can take any, like, 400-level uh, classes in, in um, yeah. physics. So two years away from a bachelor's of science and then, you know, who knows, four or five years away from a master's. And it's not something I'm – I used to want to put timelines on things. And I realized if I do that and I make my goal so big, it becomes unrealistic. And if it's unrealistic, I can't actually devote my time to it if I commit to a goal knowing that it may take much longer than I anticipate, if I just accept that, then I can move forward. Then I can just move forward towards that goal and not be like, okay, well in a year and a half, I have to have a bachelor's because I could take classes in the summer, but my son doesn't, he doesn't have school in the summer. He entertains himself a lot because he's a teenager, but why wouldn't I spend that time with him? I can, I have the means, I have the time why wouldn't we do things together? I mean, like, do I really need to take calculus three in the summer? I can wait till the fall. I didn't, used to have, I didn't have that perspective previously because I was, even though I didn't have a clear goal on which to focus my ambition, I had extreme ambition. And that extreme ambition made me feel like I was wasting time. And I, I don't feel like that anymore. I feel like time well spent is never wasted. And I can do that like making dinner. I can do that, you know, listen to music. I can do that having this conversation. I can do that doing my chemistry. I can do that doing math. I can do that on my walk in nature. Like, if I don't go outside and spend time outside, like, it's like, what's, I, sometimes I forget what the point is.
0: Your nature is a lot nicer than ours. What do you mean? In Colorado oh, versus yeah. uh, Brooklyn, New York.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. imagine that's got to be challenging. Like, I I live, I have the incredible blessing of living next to a beaver lodge. There's a beaver, like, five minutes from my house I can just walk down there and see a beaver playing around you know how cool is that that's something more people should have I think we all have the right to have that
2: Matt you have some dirty squirrels down the block
0: (laughs) Uh,
2: the joys of our area yeah well I imagine it's going to be challenging for you guys I mean like it's
1: been
0: a, a year now we've been locked in our apartments it's been challenging for me yeah take the opportunity to get away Something from living in the city, I'm always like uh, I'm always taken by is that when I get back to nature, you look up and the sky is actually black, like really black. Not just nighttime, but black.
2: Yeah.
0: Which doesn't happen in the city. No, it doesn't. It's so it's so simple, but I'll just stand there and stare at it. When I was a kid. I don't know if you feel the same thing. Oh my better.
1: god, yeah, for sure. It's it's amazing. When I was a kid, I remember I mean, I split my time between the Midwest and uh, um, San Diego. But even then, you could see most of the stars at night. There was not the light pollution like we have now. I mean, you could see, even in San Diego, you know, you could see the Milky Way. You could see so much of it. And in in the middle of nowhere in the Midwest, you could see all of it. And I just always found it just incredible. Still do. Still do. I mean, obviously, I'm, you know,
0: doing a bunch of science. I thought we were in the Milky Way.
1: Yeah, but you can still see it because we're, we're on – we can see into the center of it because we're on the outside of the disk. Mm.
0: All right. I remember we talked recently about, like, how tides are made, and we could totally geek out on astro shit if we wanted to.
1: Dude, you know, I actually – okay, so check this out. I don't know what the exact statistics are, but um, something like 50 years ago, the amount of incredibly intelligent human beings um, that exist in this country, a lot of them went into STEM now almost all of them go into finance i don't know if you guys can relate to this at all
0: all right guilty is charged <laughs> for uh, for a little bit yeah. but
1: i am a huge oh, wait
0: i didn't want to call myself a great mind but you know i'll, I I'll do it you're both
1: idea. great minds i mean you you know you don't just do the things that you've done and, and still in film he's uh well but he's still i mean you guys are smart dudes you intellectual powerhouses you have a lot to offer there's a lot of people out there like that that are and I don't think there's anything wrong with finance. It's created a world that we all live in that gives us incredible things. But I wouldn't encourage anyone who has a desire to investigate the nature of reality to do it. Like I had the incredible, just fortunate situation of uh, my stepfather. He became an attorney like in his 40s. And I only knew him after that point. And I just took it as a matter of fact is I could, I could just change what I do in my life. Because he did it, I just took it as a matter of fact. I can change what I do in my life. I can completely change it, do something completely different. And the reality is anyone can do that. And if there's things that people want to achieve, there's things that people want to become, not out of selfish reasons, but like real fascination and curiosity and joy, then be honest with yourself. Be as honest with yourself as you can about it. And don't just jump in a car and drive to LA, But figure it out, create the vision. And the only way you can do that is by that honesty. And if you have that vision, you owe it to the world, to everyone, everyone that came before us, everyone that's here and everyone that's ever going to be here. You owe it to all of us to try to
0: pursue that. I really believe that. And if it inspires anyone, you know, good. Another movie about the financial crisis, Margin Call, one of the main characters in that, he's an analyst at, I don't know if they're trying to make it seem like Lehman or Bear Stearns or whatever firm they're portraying. He's a rocket scientist, but he's like a risk analyst at uh, this financial firm, right? The character. But there are people like that. And he's like, well, you know, being a rocket scientist doesn't pay. It's like, yeah, but man, we still need rocket scientists. That's true. Hmm. Well, I'm a little bit- Well, you know, you've heard people talk about our, our education system was overhauled towards STEM after the Second World War- that was like a conscious decision by our government, which is why we all take geometry to trigonometry in high school and we don't take finance in high school.
1: True, and I, I, I also think that learning about reality, it just makes you a more capable human being. It should constantly be updating your worldview, which also affects your philosophy, I would hope. It does mine. I think the school system was developed, well, maybe not developed, but it serves a very specific type of intelligence. I don't know now, I haven't been, you know, in the primary school in decades, obviously, but it seemed like it served a particular type of intelligence and other people who didn't have that particular type of learning ability or type of processes, they just didn't thrive as much. The environment wasn't suited for them or it it just didn't work as well. And I think that has changed, Um, hopefully that's changed. I'd like to see continued change in that, you know. Like I said, I think everyone has something really incredible to offer. And the more we can do to help people learn about themselves and the world, the better. And when we have brilliant people and they can devote themselves, I mean, we all need to survive. We all need to do all those things. But if they can devote themselves to some really deep work that's fascinating to them, it's guaranteed there's going to be positive outcome for all of us.
0: Yeah, inspiring stuff. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. I thought you two were going to geek out more on film. You start talking about like... uh the horse i know the story about the horse bet if they all four feet touched the ground at once or if it was actually all four were up at once and then ben with your half the time in darkness you know kind of threw us for a loop we got the friggin' uh, Lumiere brothers on the call right now
2: that, that was, was great you. that was great i love i love that that was a that was a good part just trying to keep it on the rails you know, the, also Interstellar, uh, this is a kid's movie. I don't think I've seen it since I was like eight, but uh, Flight of the Navigator deals I with that. Uh, yeah. traveling near the speed of light. And uh, it's like a kid who is returned back to his home eight years later, but he's the same age. So for an eight-year-old impressionable mind, you don't forget that one. But, uh, I, rem- I remember yeah, that movie. I don't movie. know if it's worth checking out, but it's, yeah. it's a slightly addressed. I'll make my kid watch it. We haven't talked about Philip K. Dick. Like, uh, do androids dream of electric sheep? So he does all, all these short books, and uh, the one that Blade Runner is based on, if if you actually... So whenever I was in Cuba, it, like they're really into heavy metal and sci-fi. So oh, wow. whenever I'd go there and be stuck for a couple of weeks, I'd take a Philip K. Dick book and read it. You know, that's like... If there was a hurricane coming or whatever it was, I'd just be reading sci-fi in Cuba. And... <laughs> If you ever get a chance to read it, what uh, Blade Runner is based off of, it's hilar- It's so good. It's so okay. damn good. And it's called um, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. And yeah, it's all about just keeping up with the Joneses. It's like really? not anything like, I mean, it's a little bit like the movie, but it's more about like, just how are you going to compete with your neighbors to have like the cyborg sheep in your front yard, stuff like that. All it's right, I'm going to check
0: that way. out. I love that kind of stuff. Oh, we have a lot of uh, Easter eggs in this episode, but maybe we'll get some freaking futuristic outro music going. <laughs>
1: Black hole sounds. All
0: right. How do you guys feel about ending it? Yeah. how do we, How do we end it? Just say, like, thanks for listening. We can cut it anywhere in the past, like, five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have to officially ending it. Well I uh, want to thank you for having also, me on. It wasn't, man. Like a suic- no, it wasn't like a suicidal thing. How do you think about ending it? Oh, you <laughs> wanted to thank us for being on. All right. No, well, I do. Thank I... you for being on, Noah. Yeah, thanks,
1: buddy. No, I, I really
0: yeah I really appreciate what you're trying to
1: do. It's interesting. I mean, I've known you for a long time and all human beings grow, but I can see the depths that you you know you've grown a lot, man. It's it's awesome. It's awesome. And I love that you are trying to find a way to to share some of the stuff and give back because I feel like that is that is part of what you're trying to do. I appreciate it. Thanks.
0: Obviously, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate that you and Megan are trying to do this new thing where if we are the who, you guys are trying to do the what, the how, and the why. And I think that that will be a great compliment. And I think in turn you guys will be set up to help a lot of people. Uh, that's incredibly admirable. Thanks.
1: I do believe that service is another thing that I really learned from the military. Of that is There is nothing greater than being of service. And that's part of the reason why being in the military is you're protecting people's right to live the way they want to live, to be the person that they truly are. That's the thing that's beautiful about America and the American ideal is we, we created an experiment where you get to be you. And it's not perfect and it's not ever gonna be perfect, but we inspired it to grow all over the world. And I think that's an important thing to protect. And I think it's an important thing to continue to do when you, get, when you, when you leave, find a way to continue to serve. How can I, how can I serve? And I'm by no means some like life guru. My life is as chaotic as anybody else's, but I've definitely seen some improvement it's definitely more like I want to be than how it used to be. And Megan yeah. is incredibly intelligent,
2: incredibly
1: literate in these ideas. And yeah, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I want to thank you guys, both of you guys for helping
2: that possible. And Ben, I know, I know you do a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Thank you. Can't wait to, yeah. can't wait to help bring yours off the ground. I'm super excited to, to hear it. So I think yeah. and we, we all are. Can't wait to hear what you guys put together.
0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of Thank You Now What, a podcast about life after service. Be on the lookout for Noah exploring the far reaches of the mind and universe. For sure, stay tuned for his and Megan's upcoming show. As always, thanks for listening. Please subscribe, rate, review, follow, and join us next time on Thank You Now What.